Welcome back to the Farmer Trainers Podcast, Season 3, Episode 14, published on June 6, 2022. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our guest today is Sarah Albrecht from Hold My Guns to talk about their program. This episode is brought to you by NAG Tactical. As instructors, our students are always asking us what gear we use. I always tell them I use NAG Tactical. Do you know that NAG Tactical offers several designs, each with extreme comfort for all-day carry? The Revenant and Professional holsters have a patented tuckable design, adjustable cant, and secure twist release. My personal favorite is the K01. It is an all-Kydex appendix holster that I can carry all day in comfort. All of N8's holsters come with a two-week try guarantee and a lifetime warranty even on the clip. Remember to check out their Flex Mag Carrier also. It has a three-layer comfort backer and will accommodate several sizes of the magazines. Shop at n8tactical.com to find your next holster. That's the letter N, the number eight, tactical.com. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit the website at ftaprotect.com. Learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. And let's announce this week's podcast winner. This week's winner is Richard G. And they want a 2A Defenders t-shirt. Richard Watch your email for message from uh, concealedcarry.com on how to claim your prize. Quick reminder, make sure you enter in for our weekly podcast prize giveaway at podcast.concealedcarry.com. Entries do not carry over from week to week. We bring you this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Sarah Joy Albrecht from Hold My Guns. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast, and thank you for taking time out to... Uh, talk with our audience. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for inviting me to be here today. No problem. Uh, can you give our listeners a little bit about who Sarah Joy Albrecht is and what you do in the firearm industry? I'd be happy to. So um, my name is Sarah Joy Albrecht and I, um, I, I'm grateful for my middle name because um, it just reminds me on hard days like, hey, I, I better be joyful here. So I appreciate that. Um, and my my mom calls me Sarah Joy and my grandma does, but my friends call me Sarah. So feel free to call me Sarah. I am a range safety officer. I volunteer with the Southern Chester County Youth Shooting League and we I've, and I have for several years. I'm a mom of five kids and they have gone through that program. It's also part of the civilian marksmanship program. So I actually have a distinguished expert, two experts and two sharpshooters. Firearms are very much a part of our um, household life, but I am also a daughter of a veteran. My dad served in the Marine Corps and in Vietnam. And so I've just grown up around firearms. And so in with that as a, a background, um, I really wanted to make a difference. When we lost an 18-year-old friend to suicide by firearm, my kids came to me and they said, mom, we care about firearms. We care about preserving our rights, but our friend is dead. So how can we help when um, someone is in crisis and um, there are firearms in the home. How can we help to create space uh, so that people can heal? And I realized that not everyone has friends or family members who can hang on to firearms in a time of crisis or personal need, like during deployment or the sale of a home. And that's why we started Hold My Guns. We partner with gun shops and we provide voluntary firearm storage through our affiliate gun shop partners. So that's a little bit about, um, you know, my 
background and involvement with the industry. Sometimes I, uh, if if I'm able, I like to shoot IDPA. I love going to um, the machine gun shoots that um, the the Prince Law or legal counsel puts on. They're phenomenal. So I just I enjoy recreational shooting as well. And um, yeah, I carry every day. So yeah, guns are well, part of our lives. Well, that's good. Um, and that's why we want, want to have a conversation day with you today because hold my guns, I think is, um, a very worthwhile organization for our listeners, the instructors that are out there to know about, because, uh, as I would go along and say, if you've lived any amount of time, uh, in your adult life, you've probably ran into, uh, friends, family, um, even, even some strangers that have had some emotional problems. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, severe, I'm talking about divorce, financial work problems, depression, anxiety, things that they're trying to get under control, but uh, might not be under control right now. And being responsible gun owners, we also want to make sure that our guns aren't used inappropriately. And that's both, you know, if somebody steals them and also too about preventing, uh, ourselves from going along and using it on ourselves. And that's one of those things to where it's, uh, um, again, hold, hold my gun is uh, a very good idea. Uh, I'd like to see more, more gun shops, you know, get signed up with it. I'd like to see even more people get hooked up with it so that we have less, um, you know, suicides with it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. gun owners are, cho- uh, method of choice for suicide is a gun, obviously, you know, it's, it's something we know at the same time, it's extremely efficient. And the part that we don't know about, um, or we don't think about sometimes is what we're leaving behind and all the resources that we have available uh, to us. So that's a, um, uh, my hat's off to you for coming up with hold my guns and everything, which brings us to the topic of suicide prevention. You go along and do some, uh, training when it comes to, uh, with, uh, suicide prevention instructor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I am certified to teach QPR, uh, which stands for question, persuade, and refer. It's from the QPR Institute, and that is a, an accredited course that counts for two continuing education hours. And I love teaching QPR because it takes the idea of situational awareness, which is something we're very familiar with in the firearms community, and it helps us to do a better job of being more aware of people around us and looking to, for changes in their baseline and learning how to ask if they're okay, learning how to ask if they are thinking of taking their own life, um, teaching teaching individuals how to de-escalate if someone is in crisis, teaching them how to refer to resources. I like it because it's not setting people up. It's not setting up range safety officers or instructors to be a counselor, but to learn to see the warning signs, learn how to approach someone with dignity and humility, knowing that really any of us could find ourselves in crisis and then learning how to to, um, walk with that person to get help. And it's very important to understand. And, you know, when we think about mental health and resources to understand that we are hiring those resources and that we should care about rights. And I love Doctors for Responsible Gun Owners because they actually have um, a way that gun owners can connect with care through clinicians, for example, that 
are gun owners themselves or have a respect for preserving rights. And so when people think about uh, getting help and they, they do a little bit of homework, help is available for gun owners and it can be in a, done in a way that does preserve rights. So I started teaching QPR because we've had two board members who are instructors have situations where someone uh, signed up for class and really they had the intent of taking their own life on the range that day. And in both situations, uh, the individuals on our board, they were able to recognize some warning signs and stop the lesson before that person had their hands on a firearm. And in one case, the person said, yes, actually I'm experiencing depression and I probably shouldn't be around firearms. And the lesson was stopped. And in another situation, a woman said, yes, I actually made this call to you because I'm thinking of taking my own life. And that was my intention on the range today. And so we realized um, when, when one board member was sharing and then another board member said, hey, I've had something similar happen that this is something that our community doesn't have a lot of education around. And so we started to look into what are some of the best training out there? And we learned about QPR and I said, hey, I would love to be certified in this. And so I pursued that. And we originally, we, our first uh, sponsorship of a QPR training was at the Lower Providence Rod and Gun Club. And um, we're one of one of the members there is Frank Tate, who's mm -hmm. who's wonderful. He's pretty well known in our community. Um, and you know, we were able to offer this training at Lower Providence. And the response that we got was people from people even a few days later saying, I've already used this training. I've already talked to people who are in crisis and I've helped them to get help. And then recently I taught it at a girl in a gun national conference where I taught um, six, six classes of this. And the response that we got from that was also phenomenal. So our hope is that when people are searching out to find a firearms instructor and that, you know, we have all those credentials listed, but if they see on there that that person is also certified as a QPR suicide prevention gatekeeper, that they might say, instead of making this call with the intent of taking my life on the range, I see this person's trained in suicide prevention, and maybe I can trust them enough to say, I do need help. Where can I find help? So we hope that the instructors and range safety officers and other firearms professionals out there would see that by even having that training listed on their site that they are providing, they're being a beacon of hope to people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for instructors to be aware of um, listed on their website if possible, because one thing I found when you're dealing with people that are having, you know, an emotional crisis mm -hmm. is they're not thinking logical. They're not thinking rational. A lot of times they don't, you know, we can always go along and say, okay, you know, if you're thinking about it, like, just Google it. Well, guess what? They don't always think rationally. Like, oh, what I got to do is open my phone up and Google, you know, for a 1-800 number in order to call, um, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, for some assistance. And that's where having somebody help guide them, refer them um, yes. it, to it, to resources, either locally or, you know, might be on the phone uh, to somebody who can really help them because, even with the crisis we, or pandemic we've gone through, we've seen, you know, there's been 
housing and your money assistance for people. There's been employment assistance, uh, all, all those kind of resources, but you've got to take advantage of them. If you don't take advantage of them or don't know about them, then you know, you're going to be sitting there thinking you're all alone. And that's when people start spiraling down uh, further and further into very dark holes. Um, and that's, yes. that's what we're trying to prevent as a community as a whole. And something I want to mention there too is, you know, as a range safety officer, if I'm ever working at a range, one of the first things that I do is I ask to see the standard operating procedures. And if you look in most SOPs, there is not information in there about what to do if someone on the range is experiencing a mental health crisis. There's not, you know, we go into such detail of, you know, who are we going to appoint to flag down the ambulance and where are all of our first aid kits located, you know, but there's nothing in there like here's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's nothing in there like here's the local veterans crisis response team where people will come out to on location and talk to a veteran who's in crisis. There's nothing like that. And so I encourage um, all of the firearms professionals out there and, and range owners and gun shop owners to consider knowing what your local resources are and to have a plan for your employees to know what to do and who to call if there is a crisis. And to also Think about if there is a person on the range or in that gun shop who's in crisis, you don't just want to leave, have everybody just, you know, helping that one person. And then you're out in the range and no one else is watching the other people who are on that, that firing line shooting. So you need to have, just like with any other procedure, um, making sure you think through that process ahead of time. I think that we can do better as a community to think ahead of time what is a correct process if someone on the range is experiencing a mental health crisis. It's also important to recognize that that starts with us. And so I've developed a personal safety plan, and you can find that in the, the links in the bio to all of our social media. But I want for people to think through ahead of time before they're in a time of crisis. Just like you said a moment ago, Rob, when someone's in crisis, they're not necessarily thinking clearly. They're not remembering, oh, what's that hotline phone number? You know, because the only thing that they're focusing on is um, I'm stuck in my own head, I'm afraid. And, and in that moment, it's very myopic. So just like with firearms training, if we can make decisions ahead of time, if we know what resources we prefer, whether it's our battle buddy or our pastor or our, our preferred uh, medical team, we want to make sure all of those things are written out ahead of time, including a plan for lethal means. And the more we can encourage gun owners to have a plan before they're in crises and do that thinking up front, the more personal agency that they have and the more they can they can have the resources that they actually want versus being along for the ride. So we encourage that as well. And combined with having that option for firearm storage with Hold My Guns and combined with suicide prevention training, we really are doing a lot in the community to help save lives, protect property and preserve rights. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely is. Um, you know, I'm just thinking. I know, you know, people I know. You know, there's several people that have gone through emotional crisis, uh, mental health mm -hmm. crisis, and such. And that that doesn't even those are the ones I know. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of other ones that have happened that I never heard about. And you know, it's just one of those that makes me even uh, think about in the instruction that I do in teaching range safety officer classes. Uh, probably going to add something to it, talking about. Uh, suicide because um, most range suicides aren't publicized because mm -hmm. you know it's 
bad for business. Uh, put it that way, suicides as a whole aren't covered very well from uh, or aren't are not publicized from a media standpoint, which is which is good. But at the same time, being able to identify somebody who you know if they could talk to somebody, try to you know get the get those free resources, um, you just simply find somebody who cares could make a difference mm-hmm. in somebody's life. And that's really what we're talking about. Yes. Um, well, Sarah, as we're going through and, and we've talked about, you know, suicide prevention and such, how would a person go about, um, you know, if I'm having an emotional, uh, crisis, how would I go about finding a store that I could, you know, give my guns to so they could hold for the next, you know, couple months until I get over my financial problems or over my, you know, marital problems, you know, so, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So you can find us at holdmyguns.org and there is a location tab on there that links to a map. And right now we have five locations uh, and our goal is to grow across the United States so that gun owners everywhere have access to firearm storage. If you do need firearm storage for whatever reason, um, whether it is because there is a crisis going on in the home and it might not even be the gun owner, it might be someone else in that household. Or if you know maybe someone is uh, housing uh, foster kids in an emergency situation and they, there can't be firearms in the home or if someone's being deployed or moving, all of these scenarios, we do not ask why. We know that that gun owner, for whatever reason, is making a decision to make their home safe and make their environment safe in a way that they're of their choosing. It's voluntary. So people can go to our website. They can click on locations. If there's not one near you, reach out and we can see what we can do to help um, work something out with, with a gun shop in your area or um, the gun shops can transfer from one to another. So there, there are things that can be done in order to help. So that's how you can find us. And if you are a gun shop who's interested in becoming one of our storage partners, we would love to hear from you. How does the process go? If I want, if I had, ABC gun shop down the street from me and they're part of the, your network. Uh, can I just show up with all the guns in the back seat of my car and take them in and they'll take them right, right away from me? Or how does, how does the process uh, work in order for them to, you know, hold my guns? So the store, the storage process that would be customer facing is that the customer would make an appointment with the gun shop and they would Usually they ask, you know, okay, approximately how many firearms do you have? What types of firearms? And it helps them to assess what kind of storage space might be necessary. And that person, that gun owner comes in, they make that appointment and they, we hold my guns provides the gun shop with a customer facing agreement. We, uh, as gun owners know that firearms are, are an investment and are, Gun shop partners have general liability insurance so that, for example, if there were a situation where, um, you know, someone's valuable firearm got scratched or there was a fire or something like that, that location that they're, they are covered by insurance by that FFL. So those um, we have kind of some um, protections in place, including protecting the privacy of the customer. And we take that very seriously. 
And in that contract, it, there are things like what's the value of the firearm and, um, and the contract lets people know upfront what the expectations are, what to happen, what would happen if that person became prohibited. Our contract allows for a, a transfer to a third party who is not a prohibited person. Um, and the cool thing is, is because we're, we're basically repurposing the consignment return process, um, that it's not reinventing the wheel, that it's a common procedure that um, gun shops are already familiar with. And what I mean by that is that when a person brings in a firearm for consignment and perhaps they change their mind about it or it doesn't sell and they want to come pick up their firearm, it is using that same process as that backbone. It does include a 4473 where that person is attesting um, on that form that they are lawfully able to possess a firearm. And it does include a background check, which is uh, required by um, ATF for that particular uh, transaction. In states where there are things like a waiting period, that has to be uh, observed as well. And so uh, again, from a gun owner's perspective, we can get frustrated to say, there are all of these infringements that come into play with a consignment return process, but I have to say um, that we want to help reduce liability to everyone involved, and and um, it's important that we are compliant from the from the gun shop perspective. However, if we think about the cases, Rob, where people have lost their rights and where they have to fight in court to get their rights back and they have to fight in court to get their firearms back if they ever even are able to get them back. Although I don't like the infringements and I get angry with them, our, our process is one that helps to protect people's rights because it allows them the space to take care of whatever their personal matters are and hopefully keeps them out of a situation that escalates where outside intervention is called in. And that's something in our community we care about. Um, you know, we don't want people to be caught up in red flag laws that undermine due process. And so but if we can empower gun owners by providing this option in the long run, it really does help to preserve their rights because it gives them an option that they can take care of their private matters before they escalate to public ones. Mm -hmm. And most, most definitely. And again, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, people have gone through, and divorces, nasty divorces. And, you know, that would be one of those times when having the guns outside the home, um, you know, locked up someplace else would be really good, uh, for, you know, other people have gone through medical problems, you know, you can just, you know, go and think about the people in your own lives. You can really come up with a lot of different examples to where having somebody hold the guns while you're going through, a especially emotional time in your life. Um, trying time, uh, stressful time, uh, would be very useful, um, from, so there's no temptation from your standpoint. And also from the standpoint of that, you're there for your family, you know, after yes. you, after you get through it all, which is, uh, I always go along and tell my students, you know, when it comes to concealed carry and those types of things, you know, we can all get, uh, you know, get caught up in the bravado that, you know, I'm here to make society better. But in reality, the reason, the only reason why we have, you know, concealed carry is so we can make it home to see our family and, mm -hmm. you know, be there for them. Because if we're not there, then our family is the one that's, uh, you know, has the loss. And we don't want to take that away from our parents. We want to take that away from our spouses. We don't want to take that away from our kids. So that's why we fight, you know, every day to, you know, live a good life and make sure we come home to it. Yes. Something I appreciate very much about 
how you were describing situations where hold my guns would be helpful is that you have described normal everyday life ups and downs, things like going through a difficult divorce, things like losing a job, having a medical issue where you have chronic pain. Many times people in our community, we think, well, I'm going to be fine. I would never think about taking my own life, but maybe it's because they have not experienced something like that where they they are, you know, they're not experiencing chronic pain or they haven't experienced a relationship breakup or they haven't lost a loved one or they haven't had a medical issue. And the reality is the that we need to be humble to recognize these are all risk factors for suicide. And they are things that any of us at any time can experience. And the, the problem is, is that when we're arrogant and we just say, well, that will never happen to us, it actually creates a horrible security blind spot in our lives where we're not properly assessing just the gravity of, of the difficulty of, of some of these scenarios that are very, very common. And so again, that's why it's important to have a personal safety plan before anything like this ever happens. We don't know if we're going to get into a horrible car accident on the way to the grocery store and then be stuck with being um, having a disability and and chronic pain for the rest of our life and being on, um, you know, narcotic level medication to manage that pain. And so we need to have an honest conversation with ourselves to recognize, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know that if I have a plan for my mental health and know who I want to call, and I have a plan for my firearms, that I'm going to be in a lot better shape than someone who's just spinning in that crisis and Mm -hmm. doesn't have the answers thought out ahead of time. And we need to approach it with that humility and care and not just say, oh, well, those people over there shouldn't have guns and they have mental health stuff going on. Guess what? Most mental health situations happen because of normal everyday things that just are festering under the surface. So it's mm-hmm. a it's important that we bring that awareness to our, our beloved firearms community. And I think one thing that's uh, really important, uh, we get our own you know personal plan together, but we also talk to our family about it. Because as much as we can be sitting here and everybody's nodding their head, it's like, I'll do this. You know, I'm not going to be a statistic. Do we have, again, a spouse, you know, siblings, kids, even our parents who may be going, who might be hiding something from the standpoint of, of some emotional uh uh, baggage that they're, they're trying to work through and making sure that people realize that, Hey, you know, the firearm industry is a caring industry that we don't yes. want to see people misuse their firearms, you know, even their own firearms on themselves and trying to go along and make sure that you know, they realize that, Hey, you know, mom, dad, you know, you're, you know, you were saying about, you know, getting on, uh, on opioids or other narcotics, um, you know, maybe they get on it. Maybe you got to have that frank discussion with them to where they realize that they have a problem and you've got to make the suggestion and to them that maybe, you know, I'll hold them or I'll take them to the gun store for you, you know, the hold my gun and do those types of things. Because there, again, if we're focused on our family, focused on making our community better, we're not going to want to settle for, you know, those people, you know, it's okay for them to do that. No, we're going to look at it and say, I don't want my parents. I don't want my friends. I don't want, you know, anybody that I know, anybody that I can influence to be going along and suffering and then go along and take their life because of something like that. Yes. And, and 
because we're interacting with our families and our friends out on the range. And we, you know, we, we see, um, we know when our friends who are supposed to be there that we shoot with, like, you know, I I'm, I'm at the range on Monday nights. And if someone's not there, I can say, Hey, where were you? We missed you, you know, and we have protective factors built into our firearms community and in our homes. And one thing that, um, that is important for us is to be purposeful in our interaction with the people in that circle of influence that you're talking about, Rob. And, you know, many times even, you know, I I have five kids. It's so easy to sit around the dinner table and have everyone's have everyone looking at their cell phones. Right. And our, our hope is that, um, that we can become familiar with the baselines of the people around us so that we can say, Hey, I noticed that you're not yourself. I'm just wondering, how are you doing lately? Uh, you know, I heard that such and such happened in your life. Do you, would, would you like to talk about that? And then, you know, learning um, how to have that build that trust so that you can ask those hard questions. If you do think that there's a chance they are thinking about taking their own life, but the way to do that, not just, you know, red flagging someone and pawning it off on someone else is that we need to be situationally aware we need and we need to observe when someone looks like, you know what, there's a deviation from baseline here and we can make a difference when we notice those things. And it's not just, does this person have a firearm? Uh, a lot of people ask about that because, you know, they'll say, well, you know, doctors and clinicians, they're asking me, do you have a firearm? And how dare they ask? And I agree with that. I don't think that it's, it is the business to, to learn about the details of people's firearms. But on the other hand, I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we don't realize the reason why our, those clinicians might be asking is perhaps it's like, well, I just, I have a broken toe. Why are they asking me about that? Well, you have to have foot surgery. They're going to put you on narcotics. You're going to be in pain for a while. So, um, you know, that's why they're asking, they're assessing risk and we need to know how to assess risk in our own homes. And we need to, to not just say, well, do our friends have a firearm, but Hey, I noticed, you know, for example, there's a change in baseline to how you're carrying your firearm or how you're talking about your firearm. You should just, you know, um, keep your firearm in your safe. I noticed you're carrying it more frequently. Tell me about that. And maybe it's just because they, you know, had some proficiency training on a firearm that they didn't used to use, but now they do. And so they carry it more frequently, or they might say something like, um, yeah, I'm really, I think so-and-so's, you know, the, the state of the world and, and I think so-and-so's uh, out to get me. And so I'm caring cause I'm going to, um, I'm going to hurt them when I see them or whatever, you know? And so it's like, wait a second, is this person experiencing some paranoia? Do we need to talk about that? Like, so seeing the patterns and recognizing our own patterns about how we interact with our firearm is, um, and noticing baselines is so much um, more accurate than just simply asking, you know, or knowing if someone has a firearm. So I try to encourage that in my training as well. Firearms are our lane and we have an opportunity to, uh, to have a better understanding. We're not, we're not afraid that people are carrying them every day because it's normal for us to carry firearms Mm -hmm. every day, but, but we need to learn how to ask questions about changes. Most definitely. Well, great information, Sarah. Um, we've been asking all our guest this year. Uh, can you name an influential mentor who's helped to get to where you are today? Well, um, I really have appreciated, um, my friendship with 
Beth Alcazar, and she is uh, a mom in the firearms community who does tremendous work with USCCA. Um, she's a tremendous instructor, but she has really helped me to see how having this option of firearm storage and advocating for mental health can make a difference in our own community. And I just love her how approachable she is and how real she is. Uh, and she's just a tremendous encouragement to me. So she's someone that I know that if I'm having a tough day for whatever reason, or if I want to share some great news that I can send her a message and, and that she's there for me and that she is um, willing to share her perspective. And I know that she does that for so many people. So I'm, I'm really grateful for her. Um, I, I, it's not a formal mentorship, but she's someone that I really look up to and appreciate. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, we've had a lot of people come up with a lot of different mentors and some of our, our officials, some of them are not. And uh, it's just a good way for all of us to realize that mentorship comes in a lot of different ways and taking a few minutes uh, to care about somebody and give them a little bit of advice is mentoring them, mm -hmm. uh, even if that's not a long, you know, multi-year type of uh, mentorship. And it can go a long way. As you said, um, I know Beth, Beth does a great job and she's uh, wonderful to be around and uh, she's genuine, you know, genuine and, and also very challenging from the standpoint mm -hmm. of, I mean, she doesn't accept the status quo. She makes sure the status exactly. quo makes sense and will ask those questions, which is also one of those things that's very good to have in our industry because we've got to, we've got to challenge uh, what we've done for years to ask, is it the right thing to do or should we be changing how we do something? So yes. Uh, I completely agree with you about Beth. Love Beth. Okay. <laughs> well, where can people find out more about uh, Hold My Guns if they want to be a, a FFL dealer to join up on the network or if they want to find a uh, participating gun shop to where they might want to you know, hold some of their guns for a certain amount of time? Yes. Or if people want to be a sponsor or to get involved with volunteering to help get the word out, we would love to hear from you. And you can find us at holdmyguns.org is our website and our socials. Most of them are holdmyguns.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and we do have a Telegram channel as well. So we invite people to uh, check out the website and socials and get in touch and let me know. And I would be happy to follow you back on social media. Hey, Sarah, one quick question. Uh, since most of our uh, audience are instructors, is there anything special our instructors can do to get this word out? I think um, I we would love to train more instructors in suicide prevention. I think that it is it provides a layer of uh, situational awareness and instruction that is it just beautifully complements the instruction that they've already had. So one of our hopes is to really roll this out nationwide and for it to be normal for firearms instructors and range safety officers to have this training. So if you're interested in, in getting that training, and by the way, Beth Alcazar actually took that training uh, on the way home from a Girl and Gun National Conference. And we, we sat next to each other randomly on the plane. <laughs> and I was like, we have two hours. Would you like to get the cert? And she said, yes. So she actually had her cert has, uh, she has the flight number on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, but it is something that 
that I really think is valuable for uh, continuing education in the firearms community. So get in touch and let's set something up and uh, let's get more people trained in suicide prevention. Super. Well, Sarah, thank you for your time. Um, as I appreciate all the guests, but I really appreciate the guests that will help us uh, get a good positive message out there and hopefully uh, turn the tide of some of the evil uh, that we see going on in our community from time to time. So, so thank you for your time. Thank you. That's a wrap for this episode. And I hope you found it interesting. If you did, please share it on social media with your friends. As instructors, we work to educate the public, and there's no better way than to point them to quality sources of information. Do you have a suggestion for an episode or someone you would like us to have on as a guest? Leave us feedback on Facebook, or better yet, on our website, firearmstrainerspodcast.com, where you can also search all our previous episodes for topics that might interest you. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a certified instructor and establishing your business were your first steps. Your next step should be getting FTA coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Sign up for the Guardian Conference coming up on September 16th to the 18th, 2022. Early bird pricing is still in effect at this time, but won't be for long. Information about timing, pricing, and presenters can be found at guardianconference.com. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.